sign who's Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Hello, Jason. Welcome back to Adventist Voices. It's great to be uh, talking with you today. Good to be with you too, Alex. So today I wanted to kind of dig deep into your life as a writer and a columnist. And I think to just kind of get that going, we're going to talk about your latest article here on the Spectrum website entitled Unity. And um, But before we get into that, I thought since you've been writing for um, the Spectrum community for several years now, I'm just curious what it's like writing for uh, this audience. You know, it's, it's funny because I was just sort of thinking about that before I knew that that was what, was what we were going to be talking about. And I think one of the things that's really interesting, and I don't know if other writers are, are like me in this regard. At least I know some are. I don't know if every writer is. Um, I was just thinking to myself, I don't write for the audience. Um, what do you mean? Almost everything that I write that I express publicly, I'm writing selfishly in the sense that uh, there's something that I want to say. And what is important to me is getting it out there, getting out of, getting it out of my brain and onto the screen, as it were, um, as opposed to really considering the audience. Now, now that doesn't mean I don't think about the audience a lot. I, I do. Uh, there are times when I want to write pieces that are about the audience. But, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> But but at the but at the end of the day, I almost never write those pieces because at the end of the day, I'm writing because there's a thought in my head that I want to to get out of my head. Um, and uh, if people find commonality with that, great. Um, uh, if people don't find commonality with that, that's fine too. Uh, but but the goal of the goal of my writing. Uh, almost first and foremost is to, to sort of lay this idea uh, out on, on the screen. I always want to say on paper, but that's a little bit dated. Um, yeah. Uh, to, to, to get this idea out in front of me and to see if it can hold together when I actually try to, to flesh it out. That's great. Um, so I hear you you know, kind of thinking like an artist does in, in that, you you know, something starts to build an idea, uh, several ideas, and over time you begin to uh, put it together as, as a way of just sort of expressing yourself. Now, um, what uh, what's your process for writing? Do you kind of um, find yourself, you know, looking up some things, reading something that kind of sparks it, or do you just sort of go about your your day, your weeks, and then um, you know, pay attention to what um, is kind of on your own mind? It's, it's a little bit of both, uh, or all of the above, because you gave me more than two options. There's some things, I, especially with the Spectrum column, I'm trying to be topical 
So a piece like this month means that there was nothing really going on that I felt a hankering to write about. If there was something like if something had burst through uh, the, the zeitgeist, as it were, uh, then my spectrum column is going to, to talk about it. If I think it has implications, uh, religious implications, spiritual implications, life implications, then, then I'm going to talk about it. And there are times when I have a piece lined up and then I scrap it because something happened on the day or two before uh, my piece was due for, for, the, for the column. Uh, a good example of that is uh, in December, I actually wanted to write about something sort of very near and dear to my heart. I'm a religious liberty scholar, sort of first and foremost. Yeah. The Fairness for All Act had just been uh, uh, released or publicized. The Adventist Church had been involved in it. That was in like the first week of December. And I said, okay, I'd already used my column to talk about the Equality Act, its more liberal counterpart, when it had passed the House earlier that year. And, and so I said, okay, I want to come back. I want to do a piece about Fairness for All, just suppose it with the Equality Act, et cetera, et cetera. Wanted to do that piece. Really wanted to do that piece. Then Trump got impeached the week <laughs> my column was due. And so I scrapped that idea because how can impeachment happen, especially you consider my history on the blog and elsewhere, and then I don't devote my column in September to talking about it. Yeah. And, and so, you know, had a, had a piece that I really wanted and something that was sort of in the moment because it was two weeks after they, they uh, publicized it. And I sort of let that opportunity pass because something bigger came along. And that's not, that was in the news that I thought I should comment on. And that's not the first or um, that's not the first time that's happened and it probably won't be the last. But when you see a post like my post this month, which is a sort of a general thought piece as it were, it means not that something didn't happen. Things happen all the time, but there wasn't anything that caught my fancy enough that I said, Oh, I've got to write about that thing that's going on in the news. Yeah. You know, um, I'm glad you brought up that you were, um, your, your record really of writing on, on unity is, um, incredible. You've, uh, you, you know, given the, your particular scholarly, experience, your legal experience, your um, time at the seminary, all of that, I think, has made you a really um, essential voice in Adventism and beyond on those issues. So anyway, just a thank you for for being someone who's really just in been in the trench writing over and I, over again about equality. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I sort of Coming back to this topic again, it was like, man, you've written. I, one of the things that I do before I, I send in a piece for Spectrum is I go back through my archives because I, kind of, I do want to make sure that I'm not a broken record um, about certain things, at least that I'm trying to approach them from uh, at least some sort of novel perspective, yeah. even if I'm talking about the same subject matter. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I sort of looked back on some of the places where I've talked about unity before, uh, it was interesting to me that it was sort of in my mind again. Um, 
and I think, you know, our conference that we held last weekend uh, at Advent Health University sort of brought, as I say in the introduction of that, you sort of brought it back to my mind again. Um, but it is nice to sort of have, for lack of a better term, a reputation uh, that, that people can go to my work and um, find out something about me, know what I stand for, um, because I would like to think that everything that I write is part of a, a, a cohesive system of thought, uh, system of ideas that should work well with each other. I would hope that you wouldn't read something that I wrote last year or two years ago and then read something I wrote now and go, how do you, how do you get from point A to point B? Uh, I would like to be saying the same thing. I want to make sure I'm not always saying it the same way. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up being a broken record um, because I don't think you are one. <laughs> but I, think... I am a broken record about I am I am a broken record about some things, Alex. <laughs> well... um, and those things I have decided to be a broken record about, uh, and, and I'm not ashamed of being a broken record about some of those things. For example, Alex. <laughs> Um, almost always you will hear me describe the occupant of the White House, the current <laughs> occupant of the White House in a certain way. Um, I'm not ashamed about that. Yeah. I acknowledge him that way every single time I talk about it. Um, and I think it's important for me to do so. Yeah. Uh, and, and so in that sense, I am a broken record. Um, <laughs> in that one small sense, uh, I am a broken record. Uh, those, those exceptions, though, I think, I would hope, are the exceptions that prove the rule. Well, those of us um, in uh, relationships find out from our partners that we are broken records on things we're sometimes not even aware of. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> well, um, let's talk about our conference because it was great seeing you there, and I think it was a really productive time. The theme of the conference was identities, plural, um, within and beyond the borders of Adventism. And you were up front for a uh, part of it. Um, on Sabbath, you led us through a liturgy. And um, I would love for you to just reflect back uh, for the folks who listened to this podcast, perhaps weren't there. Um, what sort of uh, takeaways did you have? Uh, some I. You know, some things that you um, gained insights on or just the atmosphere. Yeah, man, we could, we could talk about this for a long time. We won't, but we could. Uh, I think there were a couple of different things that I sort of walked away uh, from the conference with. First, I think, is sort of a, a, a more robust, and I think maybe because we were uh, a little smaller, a little leaner, uh, a little bit more efficient in terms of the amount of people that were there. Yeah. Um, we could have some discussions where we were a little bit more authentic, we were a little bit more um, genuine uh, to the point, as it were. You know, when you get into uh, a big, a big number of people, you almost feel like you have to be on. And I think especially our, our Sunday afternoon conversation was a conversation where people were not on; they were just talking. Um, and, and those are always the best kinds of conversations to have. Yeah. And so that kind of conversation that really is about the future of Adventist form, the future of spectrum, um, 
how we can uh, be more effective in the world. Uh, those are conversations that I love hearing. And, and I hope that the, the dynamism that I saw in terms of the way that people felt about it and wanted to be about um, creating this space, creating this community through conversation, uh, as we like to say, um, I hope that doesn't wane as, as we, as we consider to, as we continue to go forward here. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it was, uh, interesting because we were, um, really focused on a topic that really is under discussed, um, in Adventism and really Christianity in general. I can't speak really, um, outside of that authoritatively, but, um, the fact that we were really um, encouraging folks to, to listen to some pretty challenging talks at times, um, talking about white privilege, talking about intersectionality, those are not the sort of topics that usually end up in denominational, um, you know, magazines or, um, you know, people here at their local church. And what sure. I... Um, what I liked about it is it was, you know, really within a, within a group of folks who were, um, you know, contextualizing that within their kind of wider spiritual experience. So it felt both, um, you know, kind of academic, but to a, but at a popular level. And then also it felt spiritual and kind of, um, uh, connected, um, and that's kind of why I want to talk to you about unity, because, you know, I felt um, there's certainly things that we need to do better with Spectrum, and we're excited about kind of our next steps, um, and going to the GCs uh, going to be, as always, kind of our, you know, once every five years um, kind of World Series, uh, World Cup <laughs> experience. Um, but you are really calling us to focus um, on that GC session in your article, and and you know you give some um, five uh, kind of things to think about that could perhaps make um, the larger Adventist community a little less divisive. So, do you mind just jumping into that? Sure, sure, and and I don't want people to lose the theme here. One of the things that has been a strain in my thinking is this idea that unity does not mean uniformity. And so the, the first two elements that I bring across in my piece, remember that we are all the same and also remember that we are all different, is, is, is the tension of identity. Yeah. Is how do we remain the same while being so different? And some of the push, in my estimation, to uh, de-emphasize other modes of our identity is really a call to, is really, I think, if we're looking at it in the nicest form, in the most positive form, is a call to, to sameness, say, aren't we all the same? And that's not necessarily a bad call. It's not an incorrect call. It's just the call has to be cognizant of the idea that 
difference is also something of value. That's the thing that we sort of have to wrestle with. So that's why those first two things are, to me, the most important sort of things of the piece. That really is where the tension lies. And then when you look at the last three things that I'm talking about, yeah, that's almost more, what I would say is almost more like the cultural, sociological element of how we, we get unity to actually happen. So letting go of some of our cultural doctrines, maybe even possibly, if we're, if we're willing to take the biblical evidence seriously, getting rid of some of our actual doctrines, yeah, I thought that was a provocative point that you made there, um, and I I love that you're referencing Acts 15 because that's clearly an example of folks realizing that they perhaps need to, um, well, the, the way to unity is to cut down some of our um, ideological and um, ethical barriers. Um, and and I and I don't want and I don't want to miss the point here though because I've said this somewhere else in my, in my writing on spectrum. They had way more evidence for, to justify circumcision than we have, which was the doctrinal issue in Acts 15. Than we have for some of the things that we want to defend. Yeah, they had an explicit "Thus saith the Lord, this is what you're supposed to do," and they got rid of it. Yep. They looked at each other and said, you know what? We're not going to have that apply to those people over there. That's a mind-blowing thing from a unity perspective. The idea that we would actually change the rules for a segment of the population just so that they can be in unity with the rest of the community that to me is an amazing and groundbreaking thing. And by the way, I have no idea how you systematize that. Yeah, it would. I mean, it, it would be. But I can understand. I can understand why that makes some people afraid. Like, but don't we all have to follow the same rules? Acts fifteen says no. We don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I don't know how you. I don't know how you get around that. So if you're looking at like a community perspective, and I'm sorry to keep talking over you. No, no, that's fine. I'm excited about this. And and I just don't, I don't know how you get around that, how you get around that interpretation of Acts 15 from a community perspective. These people sat in a room with each other, looked at a rule that had existed for thousands of years and said, those people don't have to do that. Yeah, uh, and and, it, and I, it just strikes right at the at, at their identity, which I think is interesting. I you know the parallels are not perfect here, but it would be um, you know something like Adventists saying that they're going to um, do something different about Sabbaths, you know, and it would be like why, and they would be like, well. I mean, it would. It's too read. tough for these other people to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It. it I mean, they. They lowered you know, a barrier. Sorry, we're cutting. We're talking over each other. Go ahead. Yeah. 
No, I'm just saying, I see the parallel that you're, you're saying there. Like, circumcision is literally an identifying mark of their faith. Yeah. And so, you know, find the parallel in Adventism. What is the identifying mark of Adventism? It's Sabbath-keeping. Yeah. And so what if we were to turn around and say, let's, let's not... Let's not do Sabbath keeping. So yeah, if you're looking at these parallels, I, I, I see the point that you're trying to make, Alex. And while I agree with you, it's not necessarily a perfect parallel. It is really similar. And I'm not sure, as I said before, how we sort of get around that interpretation of Act 15. I haven't heard a really good argument about how to do it otherwise. Here's the interesting point, though. Um, the GC has also cited Act 15 for for their unity equals uniformity idea. Yeah. But I just find their analysis to just be off. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think a more plain reading of the text sort of, once again, puts us in this tension of trying to figure out what needs to go and what needs to stay in order for us to be in community. Well, that's great. Um, for a final question here, I would love for you to just reflect as we're kind of moving towards the general conference session. Um, any, uh, um, you know, ideally, what, it, let me put it this way, as you're looking at the general conference session, is there something that gives you hope about how um, the church is heading? Um, obviously, there'll be some contentious arguments that happen um, as a body, and I'm just wondering, um, you know, as you think of your relationship with uh, the community, where do you feel, you know, most unified and hopeful? I love this question. You ask me this question a lot, Alex, um, and I love it because it calls on me to, uh, to uh, challenge my own cynicism. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the, I'm a broken record on hope. <laughs> <laughs> I, always feel like, I always feel like my initial answer to you in my brain is always, no, Alex, there's nothing that makes you hopeful about this. <laughs> uh, but, but as I think about it, the thing, there are two things that make me hopeful. One, and you saw this in response to uh, the article that we posted this week about Spectrum not uh, having a booth at the conference, the outpouring of support from a bunch of different corners, uh, as I followed it in different, in different Facebook groups, so not just on Adventist Forum's Facebook page, but other people's Facebook pages as they posted the article, and then on the Spectrum website itself, I was really made hopeful by the amount of people who were like, that's messed up. <laughs> yeah, it's been great to see people's reaction. Yeah, and so, so that legitimately makes me hopeful. And then the other thing that makes me hopeful is that those people were willing to raise their voices about it. That it wasn't just something that people sort of just let happen. Now, it doesn't mean Spectrum's going to get a booth. They're not, most likely. But um, the fact that so many people are sort of going into this with that on their brain 
sort of lets me know that some of the things that we were talking about at our conference are real things, that there are people who do uh, look to Adventist form and spectrum as a community within Adventism that is useful and in some cases necessary for them. Yeah. And that's where the outcry comes from. And I share commonality with those people, wherever they may find themselves, because Spectrum is a useful and necessary community for me within Adventism. Uh, and so those are the things that give me hope that, that people, that people cared and that people cared in the right way about wanting GC to be a place where different streams of thought in Adventism could still have a place. To me, what those people are saying is, if we're going to be a community, we have to be a community that accepts all of us. Um, and that, to me, is the type of community that Jesus wanted to create. Yeah. What could be more hopeful than that? Well, that's a great way to end. Thank you so much for talking with me and our Adventist Voices Spectrum audience. Um, it's always a pleasure. It is always a pleasure for me to do it, Alex. Thanks so much for the opportunity. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear.